You're listening to SoFloRadio.com. And, and when I look, for example, at what is happening in the Democratic Party, when I look at so much of black leadership these days, you see, they, they say so quickly want to co-op and they so quickly want to incorporate the movement and make it more mainstream. And next thing you go, you got sweeping legislation, not a whole lot of talk about community control and, and civilian oversight, that, as we see in Newark with Brother Ralph Baraka and Brother Larry Hamm. But, uh, but so they want to su- immediately grab it and mainstream it. And when you mainstream it, you deodorize it. When you deodorize it, you sanitize and you sterilize it. I come from a funky people. Bootsy Collins is my funk master, among others. You got to keep it funky. And when you keep it funky, you're getting beneath all of the superficiality and dealing with the raw reality of struggle, pain, love, laughter, joy, freedom. Good afternoon. Twisting knobs. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to a super bunkified Garubadon. I am Tony C. And once again, I'm joined live in the studio, yet responsibly distanced from the master of production engineering, a true sultan of the soundboard to make sure that our groove remains satiny smooth. Me, compadre. Hello, everybody. Of course, uh, every Groovathon is comfortably quarantined in a palace built upon an attitude of gratitude. Mucho mahalo to everybody tuning in live and downloading the show here in America and around the world, y'all. How are you doing, pal? Am I looking at front of him? Right great. in front of me. Right in front of me. He's so good. I love being back here, man. It's it's so. I'm trying to remember the last time we were in the studio together. I think it's it's. Four shows, and we had a three-week gap, which, you know, we have a very legitimate excuse for. So it's been nine weeks, nine weeks since we've done a show in the studio together. And, you know, I, I, like I told you before the show, man, I miss this, you know. I, I, right miss, on. I miss being here with you and stuff. And, man, wow, this, you know, we, we did have an extra week off, so it's been three weeks since we did a show. And so when we did the last show... Three Wednesdays ago, that was two days after um, Memorial Day, which was, of course, the day that sparked a uh, a rekindling, I guess, of a movement. But you know, we have seen a drastic change in our country. You know, which obviously we're going to be chatting about that later. And there's a lot of stuff to get to today. But um, the most important thing was we got to have a little chit chat. With the funkiest guy, literally, you, you see, you can see I'm wearing my Parliament Funky Dolly shirt. Flying your colors. I yeah. am flying the colors, baby. The Pete Funk colors over here. We do. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today. And we want to tighten up, baby. Archie Bell in the house over there. 
So uh, let's get to it. Let me see what we've got today. We've got uh, Simon and Schuster becomes a house of random trollers as POTUS's niece joins the walrus in teasing us with forthcoming transcripts bent on titillating Trump into a tirade. Oil industry greed gluttons frack themselves into bankruptcy. Jacksonville opens its mouth and winds up getting it stuffed with the fuzzy end of a GOP lollipop. Also, Senator Murkowski struggles to breathe free beneath the weight of a knee of reality. (laughs) Plus, uh, Greg Giraldo puts on his pants. Rutger Bregman describes the mentality of scarcity. And later on, I get to cross off a top entry on my bucket list after uh, having the chance to chat with Bootsy Collins about his lifetime of profits from the one and his commitment to reinvesting them into the foundation of future bunketeers. Of course, all of that is going to be immersed in the finest, most diverse groove anywhere. On the air, it's just past noon. Yeah, noon. In the only Hollywood that really matters anymore. Yeah. Hollywood. Florida, that is. Means just past 6 a.m. on a big island. Aloha to the Kau crew. Just past 5 p.m. in Dublin, Lytham, St. Anne, and Lisbon. Just past 6 in the rest of Western Europe. And just past 7 at night in Istanbul, where RCG is using Groove to power the Midnight Express. Yo, Gramps Master Flash, are you ready to inhale so much funky Groove that when you fart, all your houseplants wither and die? Uh, I had a more clever line, but now I, all I can think about is farting. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but yes, I'm ready to uh, <laughs> fart in church. <laughs> Take a whip and saddle up, y'all. It's the Groove on SoFloRadio.com.
no joke. I used to let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when I'm gonna make sure it's broke. When I'm gone, no one gets on. Cause I won't let nobody press up and mess up the scene I set. I like to stand in a crowd and watch the people wonder, damn. But think about it, then you understand. I'm just an addict addicted to music. Maybe it's a habit. I gotta use it. Even if it's jazz or the quiet storm. I hook a beat up, convert it into hip hop form. Write a rhyme and graffiti in every show you see me in. Deep concentration, cause I'm no comedian. Jokers are wild if you wanna be tame. I treat you like a child, then you're gonna be named. Another enemy, not even a friend of me. Cause you'll get fried in the end when you pretend to be competing. Cause I just put your mind on pause and I complete when you compare my rhyme with yours. I wake you up and as I stare in your face, you seem stunned. Remember me, the one you got your idea from. But soon you start to suffer. The tune get rougher when you start to stutter. That's when you had enough of And it'll make you choke. You can't provoke. You can't cope. You should have broke because I ain't no joke. Who can keep the average dancer hyper as a heart attack? Nobody's smiling, cause you're expressing the rhyme that I'm styling. This is what we all sit down to write. You can't make it, so you take it home, break it, and bite. Use pieces and bits of all my hip hop hits. Get the style down, packed in, it's time to switch. Put my tape on pause and add some more to yours. Then you figured you're ready for the neighborhood chores. So EMCEE, don't even try to be. When you come up to speak, don't even lie to me. You like to exaggerate, dream and imagine it. Then change the rhyme around, that can aggravate me. So when you see me come up, freeze, or you'll be one of those seven MCs. They think that I'm a new jack, but only if they knew that. They who think wrong, or they who can't do that style that I'm doing, they might ruin patterns of paragraphs based on you and your LB DJ. If anything he plays sound familiar, I'll wait to eat, say, play him. So I'ma have to diss who broke, you can get a smack for this. I ain't no joke, joke. New York City. Some people say that's the greatest city on earth. People say things like that all the time. It's the greatest city on earth. The great. How can you say any city is the greatest city unless you've been to every single city, right? What do you know? Maybe there's a city somewhere in Indonesia where there's like 28 people. 26 of them are hot chicks that'll you for a nickel. You know? Yeah. And the uh, and the other two are dudes that give you nickels. Now that's a good city. You want to check that out? This. Uh, This homeless guy asked me for money about 20 years ago. <laughs> This homeless guy asked me for money, and I was about to give it to him, and then I thought, he's just going to use it on drugs or alcohol. And then I thought, that's what I'm going to use it on. <laughs> what? Who, the, who the hell am I to judge this poor slob, you know? People, people love to judge homeless guys. Like, you give him the money, he's just going to waste the money. He's going to waste the money. Well, he lives in a box. What do you want him to do with it? Save it up and buy a wall unit? You know, he's, he's homeless. I saw this homeless guy ask a guy for money, and the guy screams at the homeless guy. He goes, get out, get out, and get a job. Why don't you go get a job, you bum? People always say that to homeless guys. Get a job. Like, it's always that easy. This homeless guy was wearing his underwear outside his pants. I'm guessing his resume ain't all up to date. I'm predicting some problems during the interview process. I'm pretty sure even the video store has an underwear go inside the pants policy. Not, not that they enforce it very strictly, but if, if you want to beat out the wall-eyed 12-year-old with the bong water on his shirt, you, you got to have your pants on right. 
Yeah, baby. How about that? The Fuzztones actions speak louder than words. That is from an EP they came out with in 1989. That's kind of the uh, second incarnation of the band after Rudy moved the uh, the crew out to Los Angeles and hooked up with uh, Jordan Tarlow, another friend of mine. The, of course, the original Fuzztones was one of my uh, best friends in it. Uh, Alon Portnoy was a guitar player. He's got uh, a new band out of uh, Kansas City. I already played one of their songs. Uh, Ride on Sunset Strip was like the first track they came out with. It was a, a pro- good timing on that one. Come out with that. Before that, the Bamboos, I Don't Want to Stop, from Rawville came out in 2007. Those cats are from Australia. That's their second album. They've got a lot of great stuff out there, the Bamboos. They've been around for a while. Another, they're, they're another band like... Uh, Quantic Soul Orchestra and uh, those guys. They do a lot of work with a lot of different people. Um, and this one, you know, early on, I'm trying to remember who the uh, the lady was that was singing with them. But the Bamboo's got a lot of great stuff out there. Before that, T.M. Stevens Get Funked from Radioactive came out in 1999. He's a fantastic bass player. He's played with, uh, he's done a lot of stuff with uh, Stevie Salas which is uh, some really good stuff. So, T.M. Stevens, you want to get your funk on with that cat right there. He also did, uh, I played something that he did. There was a, uh, an entire se- a show, and they, I guess they, uh, they, they made a CD out of it, where it was all like um, cats from the BRC, the Black Rock Coalition. You know, uh, uh, what's his name from Living Color and you know, Vernon Reed and those guys. They did all the Deep Purple songs. Mm. And it was yeah, and he did that in New York, and uh, I think I played uh, "Burn," one of my favorite Deep Purple songs. So T.M. Stevens says that. Before that, Greg Duraldo from Last Comic Standing. I, some of that stuff is so funny. I just think it's great when he's he's talking about New York's the greatest city in the world. What about a place where there's 28 mm. people, 26 of them are hot chicks, want to bang you for for a nickel, and the other two guys are people who give you nickels. Mm. <laughs> oh, that was great. Before that, yeah, that's right. The DJ Gramps Master Flash Super Set. We had uh, going from last to first. We had the uh, DJ Hippo mix of Eric B. and Rakim. I ain't no joke. And coming into that, of course, James Brown talking loud and saying nothing. That was a song that came out on an album he did in 72 called There It Is. And... That was like his 30-something album. In 1972, he had, he had already done 30-some-odd albums. That one, of course, yeah, it's got a bunch of tracks that he recorded in the early 70s with who? Yeah, Bootsie Collins. Catfish Collins. Yeah, boy. Before that, I couldn't resist. You know it. You love them. The Osmonds, One Bad Apple. That was a uh, 45 that came out in 1970. It was written by a guy named uh, George Jackson. No relation to the Jackson 5, but he had originally written it with the intent of the Jackson 5 doing it. And at the time, George Jackson was down working at Muscle Shoals Studio in Alabama, you know, with the, uh, was it the Swamp, the Swamp crew or whatever, the, you know, the, the musicians that were down there. And of course, Muscle Shoals is famous for having everybody recording there. I mean, the, you know, the Stones went down there. Just to get a feel for the place, ended up sticking around and recording songs. And the Osmonds went down there to visit Muscle Shoals Studios, which that that must have been a bizarre sight in the middle of that town. I'm just saying, the entire Osmonds family walking through that town there, and they liked it so much 
that they, they asked George Jackson if they could record that song, and he, he let them record it. One band, Apple. And kicking off the set, brand new stuff from Bob Mool's American Crisis from his new uh, CD. It's called Blue Hearts. Of course, he was the uh, lead singer, guitar player from Husker Du. Um, and I believe, I, I noticed this. I was doing some homework. Of course, I All do right. homework so you don't have to. Good. He's going to be doing a tour this September, and he is going to be doing a whole bunch of covers of Buzzcock song. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, see, I, I, yeah. You, I show you the love, man. I know you like that. Yep. Come on. I mean, you, we played the Buzzcocks here. I mean, I'm, I'm always, I saw them live. I saw them with, I believe, the Stimulators or the Speedies at a club called Haraz in New York. This is way back. And I was on their uh, Singles Going Steady tour. Because I remember the song Orgasmatic. That was always one of our favorites back in the day. So, what caught my eye recently? Get some sports news out of the way to, right off the bat. Once again, baseball cannot help itself from stepping on its own dick. It just, <laughs> they, they literally, you know, back in 1994, um, when they went on strike, because there was just a great 30 for 30 uh, documentary. Um, there have been two of them recently on, uh, on ESPN. It's a, if you're into sports documentaries and stuff that really well done stuff the 30 for 30 series on espn is the best one out there 60 minute sports has some good stuff as well but they did um a couple of weeks ago they did one called be water and it was all about bruce lee and it was fantastic it was a fantastic documentary but the one they just did was called the long summer and it was about the uh the summer when um uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, you know, battled it out for breaking the home run record. And, um, as you know, this is coming off of, uh, and that was like, I believe, 98. And in 1994, there was a strike. There was a baseball strike. And President Clinton said probably the most poignant description of what the strike was about. He said something like, you know, it's literally it's an argument over money between a bunch of millionaires arguing with a bunch of billionaires. <laughs> and that's exactly what's mm-hmm. going on yeah. again. I talked about this on the last show about how they were trying to figure out how many games they were going to play this season. And it wasn't about the safety factor. This was about the fact that the baseball players, to begin, you know, when, when it was agreed that they weren't going to be playing anymore, when no sports, you know, everything stopped because of COVID-19, mm-hmm. they said that they were going to, um, if the season ever started again, they would be paid um, based on how much they would be making per game normally in a 162-game season. So if they play 81 games, they get paid half of what they normally would. And so now it's about how long the season is going to be because the players want a longer season so they can get paid more money. And the owners want a shorter season so they don't have to pay as much. And I understand the owner's position, strangely enough, more than I do the player's situation except for one thing okay you have to understand the owners get no revenue from the stands during these games Mm. that's a lot of freaking money that's a lot of money they're giving up yeah they got television rights and that's also a great deal of money etc etc but there's also this big thing about how they're not paying the minor league players on the other hand minor league players basically don't get paid shit anyway so that brings that to light so once again they're breaking my heart major league baseball thanks for Thanks for, you know, and that's the thing. They had the chance 
to be the healing sport, just like they were after 9-11 when the Mets and the Braves played the very first game um, in New York after 9-11. They played it at Shea Stadium. And that was the famous game where before the game, the Mets and Braves, two rivals from the NLEs who hated each other, came onto the field and shook hands and hugged in a sign of, you know, hey, sure, we battle it out, you know, in between the lines for the game. But this is a time in America where, you know, we're all Americans. And it was a great game. I remember watching the game because Mike Piazza hit the home run that made everybody in America practically just stand up and cheer. He won the game for the Mets in the bottom of the eighth with a two-run homer that I remember vividly. So, you know, they had the chance to do it, and they blew it. You blew it again. You know, you can't be America's pastime unless you're willing to, you know, help Americans pass the time. Come on, guys. Where are you? All right, enough. I uh, couldn't help but notice this. The uh, vacant Trump Plaza Casino in Atlantic City. Yeah, it's about to be demolished. They're they're finally going to tear it down. I call that, I think that they should wait and do that on election day. I think they should implode the hotel on 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 the the first Tuesday in November. I'm just saying. Sounds Either great. that or even better. Let's just say let's please God, let's just assume he loses, do it the day after. <laughs> hey, I you know, I just I just like to throw that stuff out there. Um I I this came up about a month ago. Uh, Trump ousted State Department watchdog at Pompeo's urging. Democrats open inquiry. The lawmaker said Steve Linick, the State Department's inspector general, had opened an investigation into Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's conduct. And so what he did is they fired him. Sure. Yeah, they what fired would, him. What would you do? Right. And this got me to think, Jim, right? This got me to thinking, though. Um, this is one of those things where you have a series of levels in government where, you know, um, if you want to be a whistleblower, you you talk to, you know, it's like mm-hmm. in the Army. You report misconduct to your superior, and it goes up the chain. Right. That's what's supposed to happen. And in this case, what they've done is they've taken one part of that chain out so that it, right. it basically – it, it just stops. Also, if there's a provision for if the person that you're blowing the whistle on is your superior, right. you can blow the whistle on them with someone else. else. Right. Okay. But in this case, the someone else that you're supposed to be reporting instead of taking action against the superior who you're blowing the whistle against fires you for opening up the big whistle mouth. That's the that's well, no, they fired the person yeah. you would be reporting to, the inspector right. general. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. That's the guy. He's supposed to be the guy that is not in the chain of command, right. the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. He is a separate, right? You know, overseer. A a you yeah. know, he is the they're, inspector. They're, they're firing general. the the people that police them. Yes, the cops. that's yeah. exactly yeah. it. They're they're firing the internal affairs bureau. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so here's what it got me to thinking. No one's so, ever thought of that before. What? No one's ever thought of that before. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> no. But here's what it, here's the analogy that I thought of. It was from Casino. Since the players are looking to beat the casino, the dealers are watching the players. The boxmen are watching the dealers. The floormen are watching the boxmen. The pit bosses are watching. Uh, the you know the the you know the the 
the floormen, the shift bosses are watching the pit bosses, the casino manager casino managers watching the shift boss. I'm watching the casino manager, and the eye in the sky is watching us all. So basically, this is like taking out the shift. This is like basically taking out the eye in the sky. That's what this is. It's like taking out the cameras. It's taking out that one part. There's that whole, everybody's got to watch everybody else to make sure that things run properly. Right. And that's what, that's the way this, you know, the, the government watchdog agencies are supposed to work. Okay. Except they've taken out the eye in the sky. That's what it is. And the reason this analogy occurred to me is because, you know, basically Trump's running the, his, the Oval Office like a mob boss, mm-hmm. which I, I said years and years ago, and it's quite obvious to anybody. So I thought this was funny. They, they had right after um, – I can't remember what stupid-ass thing Donald Trump said. but This time. This time. But Senator Murkowski said that she was, and I quote – Struggling, struggling mm. with whether or not to vote for Trump. She's struggling with it. I see. She's struggling. Yeah. It's a struggle. I know. Yeah. yeah. It's a struggle. Morality is a struggle. So it is. It's a, it is. It is a yeah. struggle. Yeah. It's a struggle to summon, mm-hmm. okay, the better angels that you, your party. The temptation to be a completely morally bankrupt scumbag is just so strong that, uh, you know, very few people can resist its pull. I know. And, you know, birds of a feather. Mm-hmm. I, I, know, I know what they do. They flock. <laughs> they do. They flock right off together. Now, I, you know, I, I, the struggle here is, as I've pointed out before, is not whether or not to do the right thing. It's that what happens if I went, once I do the right thing? How bad is it going to get? As I, I said a long, long time ago, Trump uses Twitter the way Truman used nukes. <laughs> okay? It's, it's not working for him anymore. People have gotten immune to the radiation. Yeah, but they haven't. That's the thing. At, he, at, really? Yeah. yeah. Read, read, read the People polls. People have, but the read politicians, the Republican Stop. politicians have. Republican politicians are, ex- are exactly now what they were when they went into office. Morally bankrupt Hypocrite. employees of the oligarchy who, first of all, this round of them doesn't even bother to put up a pretense. Yes, they're not fooling anyone. Uh, I mean, what's the what's the point of of any amount of a charade? They're all morally bankrupt. They're thoroughly evil. Lindsey Graham, you Mitch know, McConnell. Susan Collins, God, and Mitch McConnell, McConnell all these people. Regardless of what they say, there isn't a moral bone between the lot of. Them. I agree. And, and, and previous Republicans Romney at least summoned one. He summoned you know, one. You know what Romney enables me to continue to say to this day? You know what his actions conti- allow me you to continue to say? Never, never met a Mormon I didn't like. like. <laughs> I defy you to meet a Mormon, spend any amount of time with him, and, and walk away going, that guy's an asshole. Man, they straightened their shit out. Yeah. You know, they turned it around, you know? Well, I just, I, so, I've always, but, but yeah, the, the previous Republican party, the previous, the previous batch knew better than to, uh, show their hand, you know? So they maintained the charade. Sure. They didn't embrace oh, bigotry. Years they didn't embrace bigotry overtly, yeah. but they didn't embrace it overtly. It was in those days, you know, buzz calls and dog whistles and yeah. and and subtlety and innuendo. We all knew what was going on, but they they Reagan they, kicking they, off his campaign and they knew better. They knew better than to allow the Confederate <laughs> flag to fly. 
and now it's in their literature. So that's why. Yeah. That's why it's over. You can't. See? This I think is, that what they're afraid of is... They is, would have continued winning afraid, if they were subtle racists, but now that they're yeah, over... They're, racist, yeah. they're afraid of the backlash from the very same voters, these single-issue whack jobs that they have... Courted. The Republicans, yeah. Yeah. The Republican they're afraid. Party. You know they're what? literally afraid of, like... You know, somebody driving by this, the house and airing the joint these out. These are your people. This is the consensus that you have assembled. These are your people. Yeah. And, they and have nobody to blame and, but themselves. Right. And just as it was during the Civil War days, they were then and are now more than ever a minority. Yes. 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 Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Could not agree with you more. Okay. So Chesapeake Energy, a fracking pioneer, is reeling. Ooh, man, that is awesome. uh, the company which has said it would file for bankruptcy protection. And that's mm-hmm. that's a critical word here. Helped turn the U.S. into a gas exporter, but became known for an illegal scheme to suppress the price of oil and gas leases. So basically, they went out of their way to get the rights to drill baby drill, okay? But they they colluded in order to keep the price of that down. And then when the price of oil went up to 100, they were eating steak and lobster every day. But now, bummer, dude, they're going to have to get protection from bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Bankruptcy protection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that's really a bummer, isn't it? No. Okay? I'm going to say it outright. (laughs) Tough, Tough nookies, pal. That's it. I don't care about you. I don't care about your employees. I don't. Right. I wish I did, but I don't. You don't, you know, you drilled your own grave. Ah, you know. The fossil fuel industry is, what the name implies, a fossil. Fossil, absolutely. We don't have enough time. You know, the one thing I've always said is, you know, eventually we're going to run out of oil. That's that's already ability. It's already, a finite resource. What did we already had that that event already? It's cheaper to generate electricity other ways. Yes. So yes. therefore, we won't need to run out of oil. A cheaper option has presented itself. Goodbye, horse-drawn carriage. That guy Cole is about to go the way of the dinosaurs, except well. in redneck trucks. <laughs> you see those current coal-burning trucks? No. They they. They have coal-burning trucks that inject coal dust into the the fuel mixture so that they belch out black smoke as they go down the road. And then they have these smokestacks. They on do their, it intentionally. Intentionally, yes. And they have – wait. They have bumper stickers that advertise what they're doing in case you might wonder why is this truck belching so much smoke. Man, what is – I, I – what goes we through your to, mind when you do that? I, I just – I'm sticking it to the libs. I'm poning the liberals. I'm all, that's what that's what goes through their mind. I'm showing them. It's the asshole that shoots the boat that he's standing on to watch the look of shock and horror on everybody else's face. Yeah. I'm, sh- I'm drowning us all. That's I, I, that's that guy. I'm mystified. Yep. That's that. that's that's the payoff. The mystified expression on your face. That's the orgasm right. for that guy. Well. Yeah. yeah. So. <clears throat> I've been looking for silver linings these days, and the silver linings I have come up with are this summer's must-read list, okay? All right. Now, John Bolton's book comes out a week from today. Someone had a good idea on Twitter. 
By the way, one person buy the book and then upload it. (laughs) (laughs) He sells one copy, but we all have it. (laughs) (laughs) Then they have it. I mean, he's going to be on. uh, He's doing interviews. He's going to be doing. He's doing what what uh, Ann Coulter does. You know, you don't hear about her at all until she has a brand new book and then she shows mm-hmm. up on every mm-hmm. doing every interview. That's what Bolton's doing. He's he's going to be on uh, Stephen Colbert's show on Tuesday. That's good, you know. But so that's coming out, and obviously, they're you know the the uh, the White House is doing what it can to say you know you can't do this. The it's it's wild to listen to uh, the president, even Bill Barr, talk about the the consequences, which are none. There's mm-hmm. none. Okay? Yeah. You think he doesn't know if if he is divulging top secret right. information that could bring him, you know, that could bring charges of treason and, and something? He, I think he knows. Yeah. Okay? And I, 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 I bet you he had a conversation with his lawyer. At some point yeah, before this, I'm figuring, I'm figuring out a <laughs> maybe con- two, maybe two, yeah. <laughs> but this is the one I'm really looking forward to: Trump's niece to publish yeah. book with quote harrowing revelations. Mary Trump, who is the daughter of Donald's brother, who died, I guess, back in '81, mm-hmm. something like that, uh, will say that she was the source of the New York Times coverage of the president's tax returns. Okay, she's got the real goods on this, and that's going to be coming out in August. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people criticized and are criticizing John Bolton right now and saying, you had your chance to do the right thing during the impeachment trials, Mm -hmm. right? You should have come forward then. Of course. Yeah. Here's the thing. I said a long time ago, I said, I wonder if John Bolton's going to turn out to be the one true patriot. I'm going... I'm I'm gonna flip the script on this and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the pro Bolton okay, okay narrative here. Let's say that he did testify. Now he can't testify about um classified material. Mm-hmm. He's not allowed to do that. Right. What would be the outcome of him testifying? Okay? There, so nothing. That yeah, wouldn't change the there thing. there are Basically, right. a number of scenarios. Knowing what we know now, there are a lot of people, oh, they would have done It's like they would have still voted the same way. Exactly. Okay. I, I wrote down basically Nothing. the same thing would have yeah, happened. Right. I also wrote down he gets uh, uh, convicted. You know, Trump gets convicted by the Senate. Okay. Let's say he testifies and it changes enough minds in the mm-hmm. Senate and they decide to convict him. What happens then? Well, then what happens is Pence is now the president. Mm-hmm. He then gets to pick a vice president, mm-hmm. and he winds up running in September in in November. At which point, okay, the Republicans would rally behind him. He would have a much better chance of winning, I think, than Trump. I think he would have a better chance of winning than Trump. I think that what John Bolton has done, okay, is increased the chances that Trump loses by doing it this way. I think because that was back in January. Maybe. By now, we would have forgotten about it. It would it would have been yesterday's news, baby. Yesterday's news. Yeah, maybe decrease the chances of Trump winning, but I don't think I don't think Pence uh, is more electable than Trump on paper. But 
It's not, not that he's more electable. They would have rallied around him. It would have been yeah. easier. Listen, he, no, he he is he's like a, a statue. I mean, he's like oh please, he's, he's a wet towel, man. He, I mean, he he's he's barely animated. There's no way. There's no way that he could that he could pull it in. That's why know? he would nominate, and the Senate would absolutely confirm a vice president like McCarthy or Gates. You know, one mm. of these. What you know, or or Ted Cruz, or something like yeah. that. That's what all of these people have a better chance, I think. Than but than that's Mike the whole Pence. point. They would bring something like that on board to be the uh, the the carnival barker part of the ticket <laughs> that that you know, uh, that you, Trump you, is right now. You know now. what Republican could run and possibly beat Biden? Who <laughs> Mitt Romney? <laughs> Mitt Romney? Oh, now, absolutely. now, right now. Absolutely. But the Republicans won't get behind him. You win against them. You win against them. But the people would see. I know. So fuck them. <laughs> I know. I think it'd be funny. You know, I'm, I'm I'm curious to see what happens. I mean, I I said before that I think that Biden made a mistake by pigeonholing himself in this thing, and now you know it's going to yeah, be Val Demings or Listen. or somebody. I don't want any black woman politician who is currently okay in an elected office to be nominated. I, saw I Su- want them right where they Listen, are, I doing saw- the good work they're doing. I saw Susan Rice on the list. Yes, yes, that, yes, that, yes. That boy, talk about checking all the boxes. Yes, yes. Including yours. Yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. There's somebody who knows what she's yep. doing. Yeah. Sharp. That, and, and, and. Balancing the fuck out of Joe Biden in the, in the ticket. Balancing that ticket because that's a serious, oh, yeah. no-nonsense. He's a goofball, so he could use a rudder. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And she, a, and she is respected yeah. throughout yep. the world. Yep, yep. Respected throughout Washington. Clean, squeaky clean. Yeah. Yep. And yep. I'm not sure. Doesn't, is that's she also a piano player? I don't know. I believe she's quite the musician. Well, what kind of music? Who cares? Well, you know how the you know my you know my feelings expects, on jazz. Yes, but that yeah <laughs> that yeah you, that's your feeling on recorded jazz music. But my feeling is is that somebody who spent a great deal of time thinking mm. that it was worth it. Sure, of to, course to to do that. Of course, you know, well rounded, well mm-hmm. you know a yeah. broad. Scope. I I I like I, I like her. I like her so much. I'm convinced they won't pick her. <laughs> because when they never do what I like, ever, you no, know, they never do. No, I, I, I think she's a good choice. I, I know, do. I know. She's I still like, I still like my gal from uh, what's her name from Michigan, the one who used to be the uh, Granholm. She was, she was always right. one of my favorites until, you know, until this whole thing happened, until the George Floyd thing happened, and suddenly it wasn't just a woman. You know, now what's his name? You know. Uh, Charlemagne, the God, had you know made it made it perfectly clear that just a woman isn't enough. It's got to be a black woman. Has to be. Yes, I know. You know that's the thing about Susan Rice. You know what box she checks for me? George, you know if uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Biden dies, I got no Good. problem with it with President Susan Rice. Right, none whatsoever. Uh. Competent, step right into that role without missing a beat. Knows all the players. Knows how the game, sorry to put that terminology in here, it's played. You know, she knows what she's doing. So, yeah, I'm loving that. So, we took an extra week off. And of all the times we've taken an extra week off, this is the one that absolutely was deserved. Because um, last Wednesday, 
uh, I had the privilege of chatting with a man that I've often described as not only the funkiest guy on the planet, but also perhaps the most wide-ranging influence on uh, modern music writ large, uh, William Earl Bootsy Collins. And uh, from his home in Cincinnati, uh, where his musical journey began more than 50 years ago as a, uh, as a teenager summoned by uh, the godfather of soul, and uh, who, you know, James Brown, who then entrusted him to spread the concept of coming in on the one, uh, Bootsy's managed to infuse groove in every crevice of the planet. And he took a few minutes um, to tell us about how he's dedicating his days to making sure that the joy of funk lives on forever. And it's the coolest thing I've ever done. And I enjoyed it more than I'll ever be able uh, to, you know, to express. And uh, I hope you all do as well. Here you go. Well, it took six years and 111 Groovathons to get around to it. But we finally wow. have our first guest. And, man, I got to tell you, we're setting a bar high because we're fortunate to have a chance to spend just a few minutes with a true global ambassador of Groove who spent a, uh, a lifetime spreading the funk around the world and infusing yeah. the one into practically every <laughs> genre of music. The man himself, Bootsy Collins. How you doing? Uh, oh, man, I'm doing good, man. I mean, the best you could ever be doing because, you know, everything's so cut off now, so we have to do the best we can with what we got, you know? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And before yeah. we get into the meat of the matter, you know, about a year ago you announced that you wouldn't be touring anymore, but that this yeah. wasn't going to stop you from bringing the funk to the world. That's not going to happen. That is, that is so correct. That is so correct. And, you know, who knew, you know, who knew that the next year the gigs were going to be canceled? I mean, you know, I had no idea about none of that stuff. I mean, the the one who takes care of us, who, who's who got his hands on us all, you know, he's the one that, that writes the script. So I had nothing to do with it. You know, I'm just you know, living, living, living my part and trying to do my part. Yeah, I, I, it seems like uh, pretty much everybody is going into improv mode. And yeah, you, yeah, there's a lot of that going on now. And you, of course, have been very um, involved in the Music Cares program and also the Bootsy Foundation, which is mentoring and shepherding the, the new you know, the, the new generation of funketeers yeah. into, the, into the world so that you know, it lives in perpetuity. And, yes. um, you know, tell us something about how you're, you're really making sure that the younger generation stays involved well, and, and, and gets the exposure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, all I had to do was look back on where, where I kind of came from and how James Brown took me under his wing. And um, even even though... He might not even thought he was mentoring or loving or any of that kind of stuff that you've heard about. But, you know, I was there to learn, you know, and um, that's what I did. I learned so much just from being around, you know, um, not just playing in a band, but just being around, you know. And I wanted to, at this point in my life, I wanted to make sure that, I was doing the same thing, you know, but even more so, uh, I wanted to intentionally 
you know, look out for the, the young artists that's up and coming because they're the ones that seem to always get left or get lost, you know, um, and they're the greatest, you know, uh, musicians and artists there is, and they, they're always the ones that get left. Yeah, it's you a, know, uh, yeah, that is yeah. A, it's a crying shame. I was I was looking at uh, some of the people that are on this new track, and Steve Jordan went to the music yeah. and art high school in New York City, which is where my father went to high school. Oh. Yeah, my oh, my dad wow. was a musician as well, and um, yeah, and these days there's so little funding, particularly yeah. Yeah. in the public school system, for things like. The band, you know, the mark, uh, you yeah. know, the band and mu- and and instruments and stuff like that. Well, you know, you know, even when we was going to school, we got a chance to bring the instruments home to practice. You know, um, and they don't do that no more. You right. know, that's like that's like we we was we had a chance where we were doing it, and we probably took it for granted because it was it was everybody was doing it. You know, um, and it was just such a thrill to be able to bring your instrument home and play for your mother or your father. You know, in my case, I had, you know, I was playing for my mother and she was just over the top about me being so involved with this music. She must have had it doubly with you and Catfish. So she got, she got the bonus package. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) She got doubles, you know? Yeah. So, so well, she always encouraged us, you know, and those programs, though, the music programs and uh, people like Music Cares nowadays is like, man, a lot a lot of us musicians couldn't couldn't make it without it, you know. Well, and uh, that is great to hear. And you're truly, um, you know, the definition of the the expression. You got to give it away to keep it. Yeah, you're right. You got to exactly give it right. away to keep it. And, yeah. Yeah. And, to- and that's what that's what music to me really is um music is a gift it's a gift to you first of all and then you're supposed to give that mug away you know <laughs> but 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 one day you know we woke up and it was like okay well you're you're a musician and that's your life you know i didn't realize when we when we were coming up i didn't realize that i was going to have to take care of myself and the family with me making me making music. I know. I mean, I was I was having so much fun just making music. <laughs> well, you know, if you do what you love for a living, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But you're exactly right. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, these days, though, I think what is uh, and let's get to the meat of the matter here, which is the uh, the COVID nineteen uh, yeah. fund that was set up for music cares. And it's really yeah. kind of brought to light the fact that if you don't gig, you don't eat. And now You're right. you've got You're musicians. Right. It's the people who play in the uh, the wedding bands, the bar mitzvah yeah. bands, the, yeah. the the bar bands, the local bands and stuff like that that aren't really being able to make a living now. And you've and got to be supported at yeah, all. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and the music cares program which is part of the grammys you know it's it's one of these uh grammy things and um that's really focused on taking care of the musicians that we don't hear about yeah and you know what's what's really deep to me is they've been doing this for a long time and we've been working with them for a long time and um you know to find out that 
when we call, you know, when we call on them, they're there. They were always there Fantastic. when we called That's them, great. you know, and, and it's like, okay, well, who's there for them now? You know, uh, because everybody's scrapping and scraping, you know, so it's like, okay, if, uh, if we can do something, let's hook this up. And everybody was on board. So it was like, come on, man, we got to do it. Well, you know? that's, that's just fantastic. I mean, as, as somebody who definitely um, has has had a lifetime of joy and gifts and funk and groove um, yes. from from the fingers and brain of Bootzilla himself. I mean, when I was 14, <laughs> when I was 14, it was all about Led Zeppelin. Uh, yeah, it was all about yeah. it was all about Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, and, and yes. Eddie Hazel. Yep. That was oh, it. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. we were all about the P funk, uh, and yes, uh, uh, and I was fortunate enough to go with myself yeah. and my co-host George. We actually saw Parliament Funkadelic down here at Revolution with Fishbone oh. opening, and it uh, it occurs to me that that might be the last live. Show. It was the last show on that tour. And oh, wow. it, it might be the last fun- Parliament Funkadelic show ever, and yeah. it's such a a privilege to be able to to spend this time right here and think that I'm helping in some small way to spread yeah. the word and help give back. So you've got a brand new song that is yeah. coming out. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be by the time this airs, it will have come out already. We're going to be able to to play it, and I'm going to put a link. For the uh, for the COVID nineteen relief fund on my page, so that people oh, know exactly, man, awesome. so that people know exactly how to uh, yeah. give money because it's so easy to just get music for free. But yeah. if yeah. you if you can you know if you love the music and yeah. and you've got a cause like this where it's like hey yeah I'm going to spend a dollar and download yeah. it and pay for it you know because if you don't it ain't going to be there next year. You're right. And, you know, when you think about it, people just, you know, don't really um, like like they used to. They, you know, they used to really think about musicians, yes. you know, um, and, you know, you don't have that now. It's more about who, who is the star, right. you know, who, who's the new rapper, who's the new this, who's the new singer, you know. But, you know, it's like it's like when Motown, the the uh, Funk Brothers, you know, sure, and the and Wrecking just, Crew, like, and all those people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the JBs. Sure, man. Sure, man. I mean, you know, so it's like you know, nobody really pays the musicians any attention. So it's like, come on, man, we gotta we gotta you know kind of change this flow a little bit here. You know, it ain't nothing so drastic that that you can't do it. I mean, you know, uh, everybody loves music of some kind. Absolutely. You know? And so without the musicians, there, there wouldn't be no music up to this point. With no least. music, there ain't no joy. It's, it's yeah. a joyless yeah. world. It is a joyless yeah. world without groove. Yes. You know, yes. And, and any and, groove, any groove is better than no groove. And, that's you know, right. that's, that's <laughs> where I shake out, man. Because one of the things that I've always admired about you is that you have managed to span the globe of styles of music. I was listening to, was it uh, Groovegrass, the stuff you did? with with I'm a huge Doc Watson. You heard that? Huge Doc Watson. I'm a massive. I saw Doc Watson live, and I love Bluegrass. 
Oh yeah, he was absolutely. And and the stuff, the work you've done with with hardware and Stevie Salas and Buddy Miles bringing the uh, Hendrix tour, which I was fortunate enough to see last year when they uh, when they were here in Florida. And you've done work with Praxis, and you you brought Buckethead into the world. I'm a huge Buckethead fan. And oh man! Wow! All the work just, you've done with Bernie Worrell and yeah. and so many people in so many genres, and I think yeah. that's one of the the things that I've I've so I I've so loved about yeah. your career in music is that it never stays the same, but it's always yeah. infused with the one. There you go. There, it is always go. infused with the one. Yeah. Oh man. It's just, you know, it's just a joy to, you know, even when you was mentioning those names, it's just a joy to even just hear those names. Uh, you know? I play it's that just, on the show. I can't get enough of it. I eat it up with yeah. a huge spoon. Seriously. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. that's that's what I, I can listen to it all day long, all day, oh, all night. Man. There ain't enough groove to satisfy yeah. me. Well, but, that's what we got to do. You know, we got we to gotta start, you know. Because people, people are not familiar, you know, with what has been the, the groundwork. We kind of laid the groundwork, and it's there, uh, and everything else is kind of stacking on top of it, and it gets lost. Yeah, you know? the foundation. Um, no, everybody sees the skyscraper. Nobody sees the foundation on which it was built. Exactly. Because it's exactly. underground. Yeah, yeah. So we got to do, um, you know, like like it's the same thing I'm going – going back and directing my energies towards the young people that don't get noticed. They can play, they can sing, but people don't, you know, because they don't have the bucks behind them or the exposure, nobody pays them any attention. So it's like anything I can do now, if if they have their heart into it and they really want, you know, trying to get it going on, I'm there for that. Well, I'll tell you what, I I am – Whatever I can do in support yeah. of that, cause I'm on board. That's it. Oh, I'm man. hooked. Thanks. You got me. Just reel me. You just reeled me right in. And now yeah. I'm just <laughs> now I'm just flopping around in a boat, baby. Yours to do it because I I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. As somebody who has spent yeah. a lifetime in and around music, both family and just my entire life has been spent listening to music, working in music, playing music. And now I have this, I'm living the dream of being able to do a show where I get to play yeah, any yeah. music I want. And you're as likely to hear Doc Watson as you are Megadeth, oh, as man. you are Bootsy Collins, as Bootsy's rubber yeah. band. And tell us very quickly, because I know you're you're busy these days. you got a lot on your plate. So before we go, yeah. tell us a little bit about this brand new project that you've got going on. With uh, star the the song stars, and yeah, um, this yeah. music cares thing. Give us a little bit of insight into well, that. Well, the stars thing kind of came about in the middle of I was recording my uh, my new album, which I am drooling what, over. I'm drooling. I literally, I've got yeah, a bucket yeah. of drool waiting for October. It, 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 it's gonna it's gonna really be a must. I mean, I even like it. I mean, so it's like. <laughs> You know, uh, for, for me to like my own stuff is really a deep thing. You you don't you don't know me like that, but it, you know I like it myself, and it's it's like you know I'm so critical of stuff, you of know uh, stuff I do, and this just 
it just melts. It makes it makes you melt, man. And you know, so stars was like uh, an outtake of the album because it was like I was in the middle of trying to finish the album, and the pandemic hit, and it's like, oh man, we got we got to do something. You know, all the gigs started getting canceled. The musicians was hollering, and it's like it, when nobody's hearing them, and it's like, okay, what can we do? And uh, Patty hooked us up with uh, Music Cares because she has been, you know, dealing with them over the over the years. And and it was like, what can we do, you know, to help your situ- situation? And you know, it was all about, you know, they they were just pretty much broke because giving all the, you know, giving out all of the the substance that they had. So yeah. it's like we got to do something to help them because they help us. And they help anybody that comes comes at them. Yeah, and you so got to give it, it away to like, keep it. Got to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I decided, you know, I'm on this new venture now. Even though I'm in the middle of recording the album, I'm on this new adventure trying to come up with this new fresh track, this new fresh song. And I ran into Emmy um, Sunshine, and it was deep how that happened because she was coming to Cincinnati, our grand opening. For the Reds, you know the um, the the Reds parade. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. So she was coming up for that to Cincinnati, and I was like, "Well, why don't you come on over to the studio, you know, and we can um, we can record and uh, do this new record, you know, um, that I got, you know." And I was like, "Your voice would would do it, you know." And and so she agreed, and and we got everything already. Everything was set. And then the pandemic hit, and it was like everything was canceled. I mean, everything. You know, she couldn't even come up here because, you know, they weren't letting people come out, come out the house. And, sure you know, is. so it got so crazy. And so it was like, okay, how can we do this um, virtually? And so, you know, we, I started to send, send her the track. I sent her the track to sing on. And, I, you know, I told her to write write what she felt about the pandemic. Oh, and fantastic. you know we went back and forth we went back and forth on that on the phone and the next thing you know she sent me the final uh of what she did on the vocals and i did my parts on the vocals and next thing you know voila yeah you got you got some interesting you got bella fleck on there i'm i'm a big oh, fan yeah. of bella fleck and the fleck yeah. tones and Yes, you know, that whole yes. groove there, man. Yeah, I, mean, I love that Steve stuff. Jordan. Yeah, Steve uh, Jordan, who's been, you know, he played with uh, the world's most dangerous band, as I recall. Yes, yes. <laughs> Back in the day. Uh, Paul Patterson out of the uh, Cincinnati Pops. And um, uh, Brian Culberson, uh, Victor Wooten. Victor is Wooten, actually, well, okay. Hey, yeah, now, yeah. now we're now we're off to the races, baby. All, <laughs> all my, all my, all the the people who are friends of mine who know your bass player fans, you know, yeah, yes, that's yes. that's going to be the thing for them. Well, I know you're a busy man, and I, yeah, am, uh, I could, I can't tell you how how much of a treat this is, and and how. How grateful I am that you managed to spend some time and, and how much I'm looking forward to helping yeah. out and hearing the new stuff and doing uh, what I can to help you yeah. guys in this. Because for me, like I said, without music, there's no joy. And you're literally you are you are shining the light on the people that we don't know about who who create that joy every day. Yeah. 
day after yeah. day, and they do it um, anonymously. You yeah, know? yeah. You know, yeah. nobody knows who Carol Kay is until you decide to listen to the Beach Boys. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one of those things. And I am. Uh, I just got to say that um, this is, you know, the fact that you are still out there creating yeah. funk for the world yeah. and creating joy and spreading the one, and thank you, and bringing you. that concept to the new generation so that. You know, on my deathbed, whenever that is, yeah. it's still yeah. going to be playing, baby. You're right, man. And the new album is going to be called The Power of the One. And we can expect expect that slab to drop uh, this fall, from what I understand? Is yep. That, uh, well, actually, it's in October. We just sent it to Mastering. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. baby. Well, now, you're just, so, now you're just teasing me. You're just teasing yeah. me. At this, <laughs> at this point, you're just, you're just spanking me a little because you know you can. No, no, yeah, no. Just want, right? just want you to know it's coming, man. I mean, you know, we got stars. You know, which is going to take us all the way up. Oh, no, I am so well. Well, I am. I am absolutely looking forward because you know that is going to get some groove with Don play immediately. Yes. The minute that yes, drops, brother. I'm going to be putting that out there, and hopefully, I'll get a chance to speak with you again uh, down oh, the line when definitely. that comes out. We we got to do it, man. We oh, got to yeah. do it. Oh yeah! Thank you so much, Patty. Thank, thank you, you so brother. much, and to the whole Bootsilla crew and everybody doing this, and it's. Music cares. The song is stars. Ah, the name is Bootsy, baby. And if you love music like I love music, then you can't live without this music. And music certainly wouldn't be here without our great musicians. As people, we're not afraid of nothing. We stand so did so and fight. But this battle that we're facing, it's hard to know.
about that? <laughs> hey, man. Seriously, that may have been the grooviest half hour of my life. It's, it's entirely possible that that is, like I said, I mean, I, I've set the bar so high now. You know, I don't, you know, who do I get to interview next? I mean, I'm going to have to have a seance to get James Brown in here, man. <laughs> There's, to put up a Ouija, that's it. We're done. Yeah. That's it. That's it. We're done. There will be more moments. And the best thing about this is that it will show 111, 111. Yeah, on the one. Yeah. Perfect, baby. I got, uh, I just want to say, you know, big time mucho mahalos, uh, especially to Bootsy's wife, Peppermint Patty, uh, for helping me out, you know, helping me to uh, spread the joy as well as to uh, Miss Carla who uh, handles a lot of the PR stuff and the entire Bootsy crew. And special thank, thank you to my, uh, to my brother, Dan, um, who basically got me the initial hookup. Uh, you know, his company, Modern Works uh, Publishing, uh, handles uh, a lot of Bootsy's material for uh, licensing and publishing rights and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, this is a hookup that blossomed into something I'm going to cherish basically forever. You know, <laughs> I mean... I, as as I was telling you while we were listening, you know, listening to it right now, I said, "What one of the things of of all the things that made me just jump for joy was when Bootsy said that how how happy it made him to hear some of those names that I brought up about some of the people that he had worked with, you know, Stevie Salas and Buckethead and Doc Watson and and all of these people, Buddy Miles." And, you know, all of the, the people he's worked with, with Praxis and, and you know, Bill Laswell and all of these people. And that, you know, it made him happy to hear that. And, uh, you know, um, just, uh, you know, Eddie Hazel, the original guitar player from, from P-Funk. And I'll tell you, when I got, it was a couple of weeks ago when my brother Dan sent, sent me a text and he sent it to both myself and to Patty, uh, Bootsy's wife. At you know, he sent it. You know, it was a group text thing. Said, "Hey, you know, Patty, me Tony, Tony, me Patty." And here's the whole thing. We were, you know, I was talking to you about when I got that text at that exact moment. I was watching a video of the James Brown concert from 1968 that he did in Boston, and he did it the night after. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And there's been a lot of talk about the comparison between what's happened in the last three weeks and what happened in the days following the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968. And there was, you know, obviously rioting broke out in major cities all across America, except for two places. Indianapolis, Indiana, which was where Robert Kennedy had been scheduled to give a speech and gave the speech. And the other place where there was no rioting and no, you know, uproar and and rage in the streets was Boston. They had originally said to James Brown, you know, maybe you shouldn't do the concert. This isn't, you know, it might not be the right thing to do. And he said, it's absolutely the right thing to do. And so he did the concert from the parkade floors at Boston Garden. And what they did was they broadcast it live on television in Boston that night. And the mayor was at the show. And so everybody stayed home and watched the concert on TV. And it was a fantastic, fantastic.
fantastic show. There's a version of uh, there was a time, there was a place that he does during that show that is so good. It's it's really a stunning version of that song, and it just goes to show, um, you know that how much music can soothe savage, you know, the savage breast. In in some respects, it really is the tie that binds us. As Bootsy said, everybody loves some sort of music. Everybody does. And what we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks, you know, it's hard not to talk about it. I I'd originally thought that I wasn't going to talk about this. It's been talked to death, practically. And the James Brown song, you know, talking it, doing it, two different things. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah, man. All of those things. And a couple of years ago, um, a friend of mine, my friend Alan, who unfortunately passed away a couple of months ago, one of my best friends, and he's a Republican, hardcore. And he had, I noticed recently, you know, as is predictable, you get the pushback. The racists. Why should I, you know... I wasn't a slave owner. Why should I give reparations to the ancestors of slaves? Why should my tax dollars be used for that? And a couple of years ago, my friend Alan said, you know, I don't think that I have to go out of my way to support Black Lives Matter because I don't treat blacks like that. And he didn't. You know, in person. Okay? In person. Yeah. But his vote did. Right. Anyway, his vote did. And the thing is, at the end of the day, and I wrote a piece called uh, Unghosting a Movement, Why BLM Still Matters. And I wrote that back in 2018 in response to what he said on Facebook to you know to me and a friend and stuff like that. And here's the thing. There's been a lot of pushback. And I've, I, I actually saw you know some friends of mine whom I'm very seriously considering unfriending just because it's tough. Mm-hmm. But I you know, I think to myself, I think in the same way that a lot of people who um like Kelly, uh General Kelly, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of these people who thought, yeah, I think President Trump is a complete misfit, but I can do more to save the republic and our democracy working from the inside than I can screaming from the outside. So it's kind of the way I feel about unfriending these Mm -hmm. people. They never say anything on on my Mm -hmm. posts and stuff. They do their own posts. I see them from time to time. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, I'm just going to wait for my time. And the thing is this. I don't know what it feels like to be a black guy in America. I can't. Right. There's, you know, I can sympathize and empathize till the cows come home. I can agree with their sentiments and the origin of their rage. And I do. But I don't know what it feels like. I don't know. I'll never know. And that, I think, is the big difference. And this is the, the thing about Republicans, more specifically, I think, than Democrats, when it comes to anything like this. Gay stuff. Okay, I think about Morton Downey Jr., who was this raging Republican, you know, you pablum puking liberals. He always smoked during his mm-hmm. show. Right. And he was very anti- 
you know, when mm-hmm. all the AIDS thing started. Mm-hmm. The asshole is an exit, not an entrance. That was his big mm-hmm. line. Right. And he was all raging about that until his brother came down with AIDS and had to come out of the closet and say mm-hmm. that he was gay. And then, all of a sudden, Mort Downey Jr. said, I've been wrong. I didn't realize it. You know, I finally, it, it happened to somebody I love. This is the way it always is with Republicans mm-hmm. more than Democrats. Democrats, sure. But I think Republicans really typify this. It doesn't matter to them until it matters to them. And this is what I said about COVID-19. It's not going to have a negative effect on Trump and the Republicans until it absolutely has a negative effect on Trump and the Republicans. Okay? Mm -hmm. We were talking about, uh, you know... um, they, they want to change the convention. And you said, oh, they're going to bring it to Jacksonville. Ding, you ding, were ding, right. ding, man. I nailed it. You nailed that shit. You it's nailed perfect. it. Perfect. I, I perfect. bow yeah. in your general direction. Yeah. I bow. I, you nailed it. Well, we talked about it. You agreed. It's like it checks all the boxes. It does. It's, it's right there. It checks yeah. all the boxes. Yeah. When I was watching, though, what one of the things that, that popped into my head was when, about two weeks ago when it it was just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere in America, there, was, there were protests and riots. And at the beginning of every cable newscast, every mm-hmm. cable news show, okay, what it reminded me of was the opening every night of Major League MLB Tonight. All right, mm-hmm. let's go around to the stadiums and see and check in with our various people. That's what it was like. Mm-hmm. All right, what do we have here in, in California? What do we have here in Chicago? What do we have here in Atlanta? What do we have in... In Minnesota, what do you have? It was, they just did a, you know, they just went around to the various stadiums. <laughs> Let's check in with our commentators on the ground at the stadium. Buck, you know, Joe Buck, what do you got to say? <laughs> you know, going buck wild. That's what it looked like to me. Uh, and, you know, we're starting the, there, there's almost more to say about it than can be said. I think. And, I, I thought back, you know, the, the Trump era began with marches, coast to coast. The day after he was elected, that weekend, that Saturday, okay, it was, it was a, you know, reaction to, to, you know, just this bloviating charlatan and would-be kleptocrat demagogue being anointed by single-issue voters. You know, the fringe elements, the, uh, the racist, the, the registered independents that we uh, mm. charitably refer to as swing voters. Read, pussies, pick a side, pal. Pick a side. Which side you on, pal? Okay. You, you can't go back to, you can't say, oh, well, you know, I like the Republican nominee, nominee this time because um, I think that he's going to be bringing jobs, but that's what he sees. You know, I, I want lower taxes. There's no more of that. Forget it. That hasn't been for a while. But I think the silver lining from the Trump presidency is going to be this very blowback. This was inevitable, as far as I'm concerned. That before his days in the White House were up, this was going to happen. Something like this. He he just kept pushing it and will continue to push it because he doesn't care 
what damage he does. He only cares that he can continue to Pied Piper a small portion, percentage-wise, of this country who are racist. That's, he mm-hmm. just cares. He is an adulation addict. It was surprising to me how many racists there still are. I really thought they were fading I out. Did too. And really all that, that was happening was they, were, they weren't fading out. They were just blending in. They were learning the language of non-racists and, and playing it well by avoiding their their racist buzzwords. You know, they were doing a good job of checking but around their shoulders, but, but, but the still voting right. Yes, yes, of the, course. To the buzzwords and yeah, the dog whistles and the yep. blowhorns. Yep. You know, that's the thing, though, but racism is is Skinnerian. It is a taught behavior. Right. It, this is not a DNA thing. You're not born racist. There's a there's a DNA element of it. You'll notice how birds of a feather flock, flock together. together. I understand right. that. However, yes. we've we've gone way beyond that. There is a natural tendency. Birds don't here. have our but process let, of thought. Allow allow me to explain it to you. Yes. Okay? Because okay. this is part of a bigger phenomenon that sometimes you lose sight of. Only in my guesstimate uh, less than half at least, but possibly only 10% of the humans on the planet are actually sentient human beings. The rest of them, the bulk, if you will, are still essentially animals in behavior. Stimulus response, absolutely no analytical thought being applied to anything that they do. And those people are still flocking together based on those buzzwords all right. When I was a Christian, I noticed that 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 facts didn't motivate these people. So how did they, how did they, uh, you know, how did they apply things that they accepted to be true? Like how would they ideologically? How, how would they choose? How would they choose what it was that they were deciding to be true or not? And and here it is very as simply as as a group or as an individual. If the person who is talking is wearing an American fly, an American flag on their lapel, and if they have a cross on their tie, a crucifix tie tack, okay, an American flag on their lapel, and their suit is blue, that's one of you. That's those are the bird markings, all right. And then there's the bird calls. Do they say the right bird calls? Are you a real American? Not like those Americans with a hyphen. Not like those hyphenated Americans. If you have a hyphen, you're not really an American. Okay? These are the things that... And then then once you establish that this is my kind of bird, whatever bullshit comes out of its mouth, all right, that's what they accept as true. And regardless of what their eyes show them, and this applies to the bigotry as well, because you can go your whole life seeing visual, actual contradictions to what you have been told, but you've been told it by one of your kind. One of your kind. So they're still base animals, these people. That's what's going on. Yeah. They're still base. And, it, and you can see it being applied to every other aspect of their life. They are like lemmings. Stimulus response. Stimulus response. They use what brain they do have to rationalize. And this is a salesman technique. That's why you have to sell the sizzle. They sure. use what brain power they do have to rationalize the emotional decision that they just made that was irrational. Well, I've said that, that, I've yeah. said that for a while. I said so, these people are like suckers walking on the sales lot. The, so, you know, right. They ask a question, and the first thing the salesman says is, wow, that's a great question. That's Which a great question, sense. everything. And, and, right, then, and then the next thing out of his mouth is, and right. well, let me tell you what most of my clients are doing. 
Because these, he knows yeah. what most people want to do. And demagogues... Most people like them are already Demagogues doing. use this because they, they can't say, hey, vote for me because I'm going to screw you over financially. Okay? In, instead, what they say is, hey, are you a real American? Vote for me because that other candidate... And I'll set you free. That other candidate wants to do something for all of the people in America... But, you know. Right, and that's, no, no, no. I'll tell you the other thing that really kind of seems to, to be coming up, and it's, it's with, you know, I noticed it when, when the, uh, because the Supreme Court, you see that 6-3 to three decision? Mm-hmm. Wow. With uh, Gorsuch and, uh, yep. and John Roberts yep. joining the four. Big news. Yeah, it's fantastic news. I think it's fantastic news, and I think it, it really, you know, I saw some, some backlash on various, you know, posts and stuff, you know, people like, oh, you know, I shouldn't have to pay for somebody's, you know, sexual identity surgery and this, that, and the other, you know, these things. And the zero-sum game mentality. Mm. If somebody else is getting protection, that means there's less protection for me. Right. If somebody else is getting medical service, that necessarily means that there's less medical service to go around. There's less of it to go around. So whatever it is, there's less of it. Okay? Scare, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that's caught, that I've got a little clip coming up about. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking to myself, when all this started, I said, you know, I thought, you remember what happened in the months and years after uh, Occupy Wall Street? Me neither. Because nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. They made a big stink and nothing changed. Not one thing. They got nothing done because they didn't have a plan for what happens next. They were completely and utterly disorganized. This is one of those things about this this six-block area out in Seattle or whatever. Or where is it? Seattle or Portland? Seattle. Seattle, yeah. Seattle, yeah. I, I'm just – that kind of thing I think is, is – I, I stupid. Just, yeah, it's stupid. I, I it's just, just stupid. Listen, that is the that is the left wing equivalent of those douchebags that show up to with camo and yes. body armor and right AR forty sevens yeah. on their chest. Yes. Why don't y'all get together somewhere? Yeah. In like Oregon and have a barbecue. Yeah. You do each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I agree. I I you know that and it's 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 literally perfect perfect fodder. You know For they can. This is truly biting off your nose to spite yeah. your face in this instance. Yeah. And, and once yeah. again, you know, my, my fear is that Look. there's going to be an entire group of people, like there always is, the people who, who label themselves as the progressive caucus, who let the perfect become the enemy of the good. Right. Okay, which is what they always do. And right. We it, just want to have a conversation about the quality of the police work that we're enjoying. And see and what we can we're do entitled, about it. Yes. We're entitled to, having, to have that conversation. We don't have to get draconian about it. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bath, bath water right. and fire all the cops and start from scratch and everything. But we do need to address... Um, po- policing, the policing from the ground up, from, from the vetting process... From who, who it is to that the we are. Right. To how they're armed. Right. They're militarized. To, to, they right. show up. They uh, all of it. But we have to start from the top to the bottom because it begins with hiring the people with the correct attitude. Because when I was trying to do these shows ah. on radio, when I was trying to do these shows on radio and I was trying to have a reasonable dialogue, I, get sh- I got shouted down by, come to find out from other cops who were fans, the members of the union. And I'm oh, normally yeah. pro-union, but in this, co- but apparently, police union equals fascist Nazi. 
bigot. I haven't met it, although apparently there are uh, black police unions. That, this is a new new information for me. But the other unions were these these goose stepping. And by the way, collectively. You know who wants to take away your guns more than anybody? You know who wants to be the only motherfucker oh, the with the guns of the police? So, which is more of a reason for me to want to have a bunch. So, so that's all. We need to get police who whose attitude is actually, and here it is, this is going to get me killed or something, that have an attitude that they're taking a job to protect other people's Throw lives. Other people's lives. Right. When firemen take a fireman job, I know... And I can, and I get this from watching them in action. That when there's danger, I see them running towards it. That was a great towards- line. Somebody said, "I knew, nobody ever wrote a song that said fuck the fire, fuck the fire, fuck, fuck the fireman." Yeah. Right. I see them running towards it and putting themselves in harm's way to save lives. And pardon my naivete, but I really thought that that's what the police were supposed to be doing when it came to that kind of danger. That's why they have armament and body armor, and I don't. So that when I call the cops, help me! Someone is uh, endangering me. They've got a gun, or they're a big oaf and you show up and your primary concern is your own personal safety do me a favor pal i didn't need that element in this in this equation I agree. right i if you're not going to show up to protect me please don't show up yes okay yes i don't need somebody heavily armed with a gun and all jacked up on roids i'm gonna go i'm gonna go even further though because right. you're talking about how the hiring practices and the weeding out practices and you know you you've been living down here Enough. in miami for a long time you remember Enough. During the uh, the cocaine cowboys days, when all the cops quit oh, yeah. and they went on a hiring binge, all these yeah. cops ended up uh, all these cops ended up getting fired and arrested and imprisoned. Yeah, like the entire class from one year. Yeah. ended up basically yeah. having to to no longer be police. They were all corrupt. Here's the thing: I'm going to go back even further because I think that the reason that I brought up Occupy Wall Street was because I think that there's a money aspect to this. That had we addressed it when we had the chance, might have solved a lot of the problems here. Because the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about, the police forces of America are now part and parcel of that. Oh yeah, there is. They are now. Military dollars. Yeah, they are. They are now. You know, SWAT teams used to not be a thing for every local yokel police department, and now everybody's got one. And it's all about getting money and buying stuff so that you can... These guys, they walk out, they have like this tool belt. They look mm. like Tim the Tool Man Taylor going to Fallujah. You know? Mm. And <clears throat> the Occupy Wall Street thing was literally the last time that a protest squatted on someone else's land and used it as theater and began producing a daily and nightly you know, poli-sci economics telenova, as it were. And, you know, one week after setting up base camp at Zuccotti Park, you know, to hear the cable news guys rant and rave about it, you'd have thought that all 50 states and two-thirds of the, the first world's capitalist economies were in danger of collapsing the democracies that govern them because they'd been occupied by a diverse citizenry with one thing in mind, you know, one thing in common. Three years of fuming outrage that the modern-day robber barons from Wall Street and the, the quants that they relied on to uh, concoct you know, algorithm-based indexes had gotten rich by you know, p- 
pulling the pin on on the global economic hand grenade and then hiding in their corporate foxholes as it blew up and bankrupted the entire freaking world. And when the smoke cleared after, you know, Occupy Wall Street and Zuccotti Park, okay, Jamie Dimon and, you know, his Xenia-clad coven of greed, they emerged from hiding with all of their nine-figure offshore accounts fully intact just as they left them. And not coincidentally, they did so right on time to get the institutions that they had used to plunder for themselves, okay, just in time to get them protected protected by bankruptcy laws. They were, they were under bankruptcy protection, okay? Nothing changed. They wrote, they protested, they marched, everybody said anything. We had this whole new organization in Congress that was meant to be there to protect citizens from this kind of thing. And what do we have now? It's worse than ever. Mm-hmm. It's worse than ever. There's no transparency. There never has been. And I worry that a violent aspect to this is, while I understand the pent-up rage, and we're, we're talking about generations who have been told that they were right and that change is going to come, and then it was their kids that were told mm-hmm. the same thing, and their grandkids were told the same thing, and on and on and on. And television has changed that to a great degree because now everybody sees everything instantly, and now we've become innately aware of the transgressions committed on a regular basis by those people that are hired to protect and serve the community. And the discrepancy between the communities, how they protect and serve different communities, whether or not it is through um, weeding out and, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, taking a look at somebody and, and, you know, pre, you know, it's, it's contempt prior to investigation. Profiling. Yeah, they're profiling them and stuff. And, I take a look at what's going on now and the pushback from certain groups and, and you know, it's always going to be their America One Network and, and Blaze. And one America. One, one America. America. Whatever. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's, it's you know, it's, it's in a bubble America. And now we've got the, the various, you know, for, for Donald Trump to have you know, originally said that he wanted to have his, his rally in Tulsa on Juneteenth. And then, mm-hmm. and to say, oh, I didn't know about it. Yeah, right. Okay? The fact that he, okay, first of all, I think he did. And he, did he, he did. There are people around him that said, yeah, they totally did. They yeah. thought, it would, they thought. see, because here's what's happening. Yeah. They keep doing this bigoted shit because they think, and this is their delusion. But they that's think that's going to they inspire think the voters. The, they think vote. that because they're bigots, the majority of Americans are bigots also, and yeah. they represent the majority. And they're in denial of the harsh reality of it, that, that people are tired of their bigoted shit. 
all right, that the the bigots of America were all excited at first, but now oh, that sure. but but even though we're all slow to respond, the non-bigots have been shouting them down the way that they always do, and it's not flying anymore because now now it's not so cool to be wearing that hat now. Now people are taking the bumper sticker off their car because they don't hey, want their car demolished. Let me tell you something, MAGA, yeah. make America yeah. groovy again. Yeah, yeah, make America groovy again. That's yeah. what it stands for. Yeah. Make America don't, groovy don't again. Even. There it is. Make yeah. America groovy again. That's, that's what it ought to stand for. That's but. what it, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, bigotry has never been the position of the majority. All right? Even yeah. even at its most even. All right? Look at the evidence of it. The yeah. only reason that women can vote is because more than half the men one day were not douchebags. Yes. All right? And more than half the country's women. <laughs> Listen, a lot of men didn't. When women got the right to vote, women couldn't vote. It was men that yes. gave them the right to vote. Yes. So more than half of the men in America at that time were not douchebags. And the Civil War went the way that it did because more than half of the Americans were in favor of non-slavery than slavery. So the douchebags are always the minority, no matter what it might look like for right. a time. I think that this is a moment in time, though, when I think it brings to light, as I said you know, a little while ago, I don't know what it feels like to be black in America. I don't. I don't know what that feels like. I support the Black Lives Matter movement. I support what they want and the the tearing down of the systemic racism that has become infused into so many institutions in America. Where we send our money. Why, you know, why why do we have uh, public school financing inherently tied to property taxes. That's part and parcel of it right there. Okay? The places where properties work the most get the most money for schools, which enables them to get a better education. And it, it, it perpetuates the systemic racism that we've had. And I don't know what it feels like to have had that knee on my neck, mm-hmm. day after day, year after year, no matter where I go, no matter what I try and do, no matter, I don't know what it's like to have to overcome more than I should have to, more than the guy, the white, you know, the other guy sitting next to me, because he's got, you know, I, I know what it's like to be the guy that gets it. I'm white, privileged, you know. Come from a, I come from a background that, that was, you know, that had some, you know, had a little bit of money, you know, never wanted for food on the table, that kind of thing. I don't know what it feels like to not have that. And so I, I really am stepping back and just saying, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I want to, I'm listening. I've always been listening. And it, it worries me that so many people aren't listening from that perspective. Like, hey, it's one thing to have a conversation. It's another thing to talk to talk talk. until you learn how to walk the walk. You know, you can't walk a mile in their shoes. You'll never be able to do it. So what you have to do is figure out a way to enable them to wear the same kind of shoes you get to wear. I can't afford the shoes they wear. What are you talking about? You know? You see some of those shoes? <laughs> thousands of dollars. But you know what I'm I mean, you know what I'm saying, no metaphorically, I, <laughs> I think that's 
That's what it's gonna. That's what it comes down to. Because I don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes. So it's up to me to say, well, you know what? Why do they? Why aren't their shoes as good as mine? Once again, metaphorically, it's up to me to, to support whatever is out there that enables them to be able to walk a mile in the same kind of shoes I walk a mile in. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at these days. I don't, you know, and all I can do right now personally, because I'm not going out and protesting and marching, and I'm just not. It's not, you know, there's COVID. I'm 56. I live in Pompano Beach. I'm not going to get in a car and drive. I'm just not going to do it. I'm, you know, it's being done. God bless them. Fantastic. If you're not being violent, you want to march, you want to protest, you want to do that, okay, and you want to scream as loud as you can and say, we're, we're sticking around here. We, we want our voice to be heard collectively, and we want action to come as a result of what our collective voice is, you know, bringing to light or bringing more into the light, okay? All I can do is what we all need to do. Vote. You got to vote. You have to vote. That's the way. There's no in-between anymore. And I'm telling you straight up, say what you will about Joe Biden. They're going to say a lot. They're going to drag out every fucked up thing this guy did that could be construed as not supporting African-American policy, you know, policies that, that for racial equality from whenever he said it, that he supported, you know, adding money to the police back when he was, you know, during a center during the Clinton administration and all of these things. Democrats have done some shitty things. Okay? Politics in America is a lesser of evils. It always has been. We're never going to get what we want. Right. We're never going to get everything we want. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear anything from anybody who was a Bernie Sanders supporter, who was a Kamala Harris supporter. I don't want to hear Charlemagne the God, okay, talking about how Joe Biden isn't doing enough. Because I promise you this, he's going to do a fuckload more. And you either work from the inside or scream from the outside, pal. First person I hear in a potential swing state say they want to vote, you know, for whoever the, the today's Jill Stein or Ralph Nader is, you're dead to me, Fredo. You're dead to me. Okay? Yeah, vote blue no matter who. Blue no matter who. That's it. That Sounds is it. Good. It's too important. Certainly this time it around. It is too you know, important. Until Mitt Romney runs. Then I'll give you the option. <laughs> That's a good Mormon hey, boy. God bless him. Magic for, underwear. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Something to be said for that underwear. You know, he's his his scumbag status is all about money and the religion and the the Mormon religion and you know they're they're uh, let's just say non participatory attitude as far as the African Americans are concerned. Okay, but I'll tell you something: people change, attitudes change. You want to call him a flip-flopper? I call him somebody who has gained just this much wisdom, just this much knowledge, just this much empathy, just this much 
ideological morality and ethics. That's what I say it is when I see him marching in a Black Lives Matter protest mm-hmm. in Washington and saying, we have, to, we have to remember that Black Lives Matter. I don't even care if he means it. I really don't. I care that he said it. He's a Republican senator, and mm-hmm. he's coming out and saying it, and God bless him for it, because there's yep. a he's whole... Not, he's not Susan Collins. Right. He's not Murkowski saying, right. I'm struggling. <laughs> Fuck struggling. you. Do you call that a struggle? Yeah. That's a struggle. You call that a struggle? See, I think that what George Floyd suffered was the struggle. Yeah. That's the struggle. You're still walking around being able to make a choice. He didn't have a fucking choice. And your choice is no choice. There's no choice there. This isn't a choice. This isn't a matter of degrees. This isn't shades of difference. This is good and bad. Right and wrong. Not black and white. Okay? It's 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 people on in one group versus the racists in the other. That's it. This isn't about color. It's about morality. You either have it or you don't. That's it. And to, to claim anything else is, is a dog and pony show. It's nothing but smoke and mirrors. And now, I think and I hope that we have reached a tipping point. I thought it was ridiculous. I'll tell you one thing that I, I thought was ridiculous was the Black Caucus, the Congressional Black Caucus, asking the you know the members to wear that I don't know what you call them that that African scarf when they all I don't knelt know. down on one knee I don't know yeah that was a shmata yeah whatever it is first of all they looked stupid wearing it and if they had said no that would have been a thing the black the the okay you want to wear it as a member of the Republican you know of the the Congressional Black Caucus you mm-hmm. wear it but to insist that mm-hmm. if you don't wear it then you're not with us. Get the fuck out of here. I, that's fascism, man. That's, that's why I don't go to church. It's fascism. What, what? My clothes? Simon says How wear this now. How about I vote? Yeah. How about I go, to, go in there and support legislation with you mm-hmm. and stand shoulder to shoulder with you from a responsible distance wearing a mask? Mm-hmm. Okay. On legislation, it matters. Not a fucking photo op because that's what Trump does and that's what that was. That was a photo op and it, I, I, um, that's... Stop it. Stop it. Stop looking for the symbols. This is exactly what Dr. Corno West said at the very opening of the show. You want to mainstream it. When you mainstream it, you deodorize it. When you deodorize it, you sanitize mm-hmm. it. You sterilize it. Okay? And I'm all about the funk, baby. I am about the funk. I'm about what the funk brings to the collective. It's that beat, that groove that everybody can tap a toe to at the same time to the same beat, baby. And I'm not telling you you got to tap your toe. But when you listen to James Brown and Bootsy Collins, how can you not? How right. can you not? How can you not? So, hey, you know what? You know what? That, yeah. that's I, I think that sounded like a lead-in to me. I thought you were doing it. I do. I think, I think it is time. For a little more groove. You ready, pal? I'm ready. I'm oh, yeah. We're bringing, it, we're bringing that groove to you on SoFloRadio.com. Well, I can't feel the way you move. 
make so many poor decisions? I know it's a harsh question, but take a look at the data. The poor borrow more, save less, smoke more, exercise less, drink more, and eat less healthfully. Why? Well, the standard explanation was once summed up by the British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, and she called poverty a personality defect. <laughs> a lack of character, basically. Now, I'm sure not many of you would be so blunt. But the idea that there's something wrong with the poor themselves is not restricted to Mrs. Thatcher. Some of you may believe that the poor should be held responsible for their own mistakes. And others may argue that we should help them to make better decisions. But the underlying assumption is the same. There's something wrong with them. If we could just change them. If we could just teach them how to live their lives, if they would only listen.
can sum it up in just two words. Scarcity. Mentality. It turns out that people behave differently when they perceive a thing to be scarce. And what that thing is doesn't much matter, whether it's not enough time, money or food. You all know this feeling when you've got too much to do or when you've put a break in for lunch and your blood sugar takes a dive. You know, this narrows your focus to your immediate lack, to the sandwich you've got to have now, the meeting that's starting in five minutes, or the bills that have to be paid tomorrow. So the long-term perspective goes out the window. Out of mind, out of touch, out of time, man. I smoke a bogey backwards with a thumb up like it's fine. Sleep the self, I say, self is sweet divine. Leave me here to drown in glory. You're too good to cross that line. Tragically struck down in my prime by the speed at which the bags are dropping. Should've watched the sky. You don't wanna live this life. It's really not sublime. I'm only doing what I want. My heart loogies at the swine. Devastating, captivating, ghost and ray relating, product of the fucking 80s, coke dealing babies, never regulating, bag accumulating, it would not be overstating to say they are underrated, proud of Brooklyn and the Grady, baby, we don't need no compliments or confidence, our attitude and latitude is fucking big, some are leather bummers, duke your ropes, it's smoking in the, ain't a team as mean and clean as Jamin Lean and Michael Rinderbuck, TV got no temperature, even if it did, bitch, we cool as team with pussy on the polar cap peninsula, colder than your baby mama hard, cause she found out you been fucking with that other broad and you Plate, ride beats like road rage, got a crib like four states. Uh, I get a text like stay safe, takes back. I miss that pussy, be home soon and I can't wait. I came from a dream, triple beam with some great tape. My sister went shopping, put my bags in the 8-8. Hello, Mr. Big Safe, the bank teller trying to get ranked. I buy a hot dog stand if I'm trying to be frank. Just left the hospital making sure my nigga was straight. And sent bail a couple dollars till they give him a date.
Ball of Confusion and Temptations, of course. That was uh, originally they released that as a forty-five um, back in nineteen seventy, and then they they put it on their uh, Greatest Hits Volume Two album that came out in seventy-one. It was originally recorded by a band uh, called the Undisputed Truth. It was uh, written by uh, Hang on Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong from Motown. And uh, as, as Bootsy was talking about, he talked about the Funk Brothers. Okay, the Funk Brothers did all the instrumental. On that, and this band, the Undisputed Truth, was like this band that uh, 
these two guys, uh, Whitfield and Strong, put together. It's really Norman Whitfield put them together so that he he had a band to like play some of the more kind of uh, psychedelic funk music that he was writing at the time to kind of try it out. I mean, this is the guy that wrote, I mean, you know, Heard It Through the Grapevine, um, Can't Get Next to You, one of my favorite Temptation songs. He wrote the song War, the uh, the Edwin Starr song that uh, that he did, Just My Imagination. He did Papa Was a Rolling Stone, which, uh, you know, of course, there's a version of that earlier on in this set. I actually, back in 1985, I met and had drinks and a few other things with uh, David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks. Uh, at the China Club, the original China Club in New York, which was uh, underneath the Beacon Theater. Got there, was taken there by my uh, my friend Bobby Rainbow, who was a model for Levi's at the time. So that's one of those things. I always thought that was Tombstone, where they, here lies Tony Coleman. He once had drinks with David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks. That's good enough for me, you know. But now, here lies Tony Coleman. He once got to do an interview with Bootsy Collins. That's it. That's, that's <laughs> you know. Somebody that's asked me what I want on my Tombstone, I said, I would like to be remembered as somebody who created more smiles than frowns. Aw. That's, you know. Very noble. If I, can, if, I can lay, if I can honestly lay claim to that, I'll be fine. Before that, brand new stuff, Run the Jewels. Out of sight, featuring two chains. That's from uh, RTJ4. It just came out. Um, great sample in that of the song uh, Misdemeanor, which is uh, Foster Silver's tune from 1973. I've got that. In a vibe. When I first heard the song... I was like, hold on, I know this, this sample, man. I was, you know, and there's a site that tells you who sampled what. And I was like, damn, I couldn't remember what it was. Looked it up. I was like, oh, yeah. And then I realized I had it in one of my massive folders of music. Before that, there was, uh, I did a, Cur- there's a Curtis Mayfield song in there. Don't worry. If there's a hell below, we are all going to it. That is uh, from Curtis Mayfield's first solo album. Came out in 1970s. It's called... A Curtis, and it was released on his own label. He'd been a member of uh, the band The Impressions, uh, basically since, I guess, you know, from like 1960s, something like that, maybe even late 50s. And then he went out on his own, and uh, that was really kind of the only uh, hit song from that album uh, that came out. And on either side of that track is a guy named Rutger Bregman. And he's one of these guys, I did a TED Talk, this is years ago, and it's all about poverty isn't a lack of character, it's a lack of cash. And if you ever get to see this particular TED Talk, it is Rutger Bregman, and uh, I highly recommend it because he made some really interesting points about the scarcity mentality. And he he did it in relation to sugarcane farmers. There was a study that came out about the IQ level of somebody before the harvest and after the harvest mm. and wow. how how smart they were and how well their brains were working when everything was fine and they mm. had what they needed versus the off season when you know cash was starting to run low the the money they had gotten from the previous harvest was running low the scarcity mentality and it like lowered their IQ by like 15 points wow they determined yeah and it's it's very it's a fascinating study, you know, and I, I downloaded the study. It is a laborious read. I barely got through, like, the first three pages of it, and then, you know, I could feel the blood coming out of my eyes at that point. But the TED Talk this guy gives, very interesting stuff. I highly recommend it. 
Before that, yeah, can't get enough of the Temptations no matter how it's done. Papa was a Rolling Stone. This version by the Hot 8 Brass Band. It's 45 that came out in 2015. These cats are from New Orleans. They're basically one of these big brass bands, you know, that you always see. They still actually play in, you know, the various parades and, you know, funerals, stuff like that, all these processions that are in New Orleans. The band started in 1995, and these guys literally over the years have been a living testimony to what happens to young black men in America. In 1996, the 17-year-old trumpet player, a guy named Jacob Johnson, was found shot execution style in his home. Then in 2004, the trombone player who was Joseph, you're going to love this nickname, Shotgun Joe All right. Williams was shot dead by police. Okay. Um, he was in his car. They were, uh, they stopped the 22-year-old for allegedly driving a stolen vehicle. The, N- the uh, New Orleans Police Department um, basically said that they were, they, that he tried to put his uh, Ford F-150 in reverse and accelerated into their squad car, um, caused the officers to fear for their lives and thus opened fire and killed him. Um, They say that he was, several uh, witnesses said that he was unarmed and uh, had his hands in the air when he was shot. Um, And then uh, in... 2006, the drummer, uh, uh, Daenerys Dick Shavers, was shot and killed while driving with his family. And apparently, the gunshot uh, shot him right in the back of the head. They were aiming for his son. That's what the claim is. Police said it was intended for his 15-year-old stepson, who had been sitting in the back of the uh, of the car at the time. So that band has had, uh, you know, they've yeah. been, they've been, yeah. And um, so, but that's a great version of the song. Papa was Rolling Stone, but on a brass band. Kicking off the set, a band called The Riots. <laughs> song is Tell Me Tonight from Love After. came out in 2004. Those cats are uh, kind of one of the garage bands from Los Angeles that probably took their cue from the Fuzz Tones after Rudy moved the band out there in 89. And that's where he, um, you know, the band, uh, the Fuzz Tones, was basically, that was their home base. Um, from that point forward, they started, of course, in New York, um, which is where I originally met them. I'm in the, the very first video they ever did, Ward 81. I am, uh, it's my, my, my video claim to fame, my MTV claim to fame. I was on MTV in that video, so. Playing a nurse, smoking a cigarette. It was fun. <laughs> so, time for me to take care of the people who take care of us. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. I do. Oh, yeah. Precision Auto Works, Pompano Beach, Florida, 954-247-9362. Any make, any model, bumper to Bumper Dave and the entire A-S-E certified crew. Took me what? Took me about a year? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, a little bit longer than that just to get that far right. The entire A-S-E certified crew got you covered. Hey, man, if you've got a car with an internal combustion engine manufactured in the last 100 years, Dave's your man. There's no question about it. I, of course, am jonesing, you know, for Barrett Jackson auto auctions these days. They're doing them online now, which is, it's, you know, it's cool, but it's just, I don't know. I like hearing the auctioneers. I I, I like that. 
You know, one of them is Spanky. Spanky <laughs> is one of the Spanky the auctioneer. Spank, he is. They're great. These guys are great. I mean, you you know, we had this conversation about the uh, the livestock guys. You know, out there, you know, it's old. You know, that's what they all sound like, man. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I, I miss that a little bit. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Hopefully they're going to be back. They're going to figure out a way to do uh, Barrett-Jackson auto auctions again, hopefully in the fall. You know, they'll figure out how to socially distance and, you know, get it all right, just like everybody else. Hey, very easy to get to. 60 seconds off the highway. Right off of 95, you go west on Atlantic, make the first left turn on to Andrews, first right turn on third, two streets up on the left-hand side, 60 seconds. Hey, mention the Groovathon. There's a discount. All right. Hello. Can't hurt, baby. You know, penny saved, penny earned. All right. Just, you know, here to tell you about that. If you go to the Groovathon page on the SoFlowRadio.com website, you're going to see at the top of the page a link for our SoundCloud page where every show we have ever done is available to, to be listened to for free. You want to know why? Because like Bootsy would tell you, you can't put a price on Groove. You've got to give it away to keep it. And right below that, you're going to see a link for Precision Auto Works. You click on the link, takes you right to their page, tells you everything you need to know, and... Right below that, you are going to see a link for Music Cares COVID-19 Relief Fund, which is what the Stars track that Bootsy and his friends did that we just played earlier on the show. So I'm going to be putting that link up right above the list for today's show, which has the lineup of all the songs. And below that, you're going to see the list of songs for every show we've ever done. So you can see every song we've ever played over the course of five years and 111 shows. How about them, Apple? Right. Right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, boy. Like I said, 954-247-9362, Precision Auto Works in Pompano Beach, Florida. It's the place where people who love their cars take their cars. Right. Yeah, a little bit of hang time there. I put a little bit of hang time in that. Y'all know what that means, though, man. That mellifluous tagline means that it is time for the drive groove on SoFloRadio.com.
I mean, every note that Mug played was like, man. I mean, you know, um, I mean, the songs that he did was just so incredible to me, you know. And um, I would try to mimic all the notes that he played on guitar, you know. And everybody would tell me, man, you know, you got that just like Lonnie Mac, you know. So, you know, that kind of built my confidence up, you know. And I always wanted to meet Lonnie Mac. And, you know, I was so young, I never could go to the, the shows to see him, you know. Um, so I missed that whole era as far as meeting him personally. But his records, I knew every one of them. You know, when they came out, I couldn't wait, you know, for them to come out. You know, when is Lonnie Mac record coming out? You know, you know, when is, you know, I wonder what it's going to be. You know, that, that kind of anticipation. I had that, you know, and um, and same thing with Cat, you know, he might not vocalize it like I do, but he would do the same thing. A Lonnie Mac song come out, he'd learn it and play it backwards and forwards, you know. It's like, uh, and it, that was a thing. That was a thing when certain uh, guitar players like Lonnie Mac would come out, the guitar players of that day would see who could play it the best, you know, who could get it down just like it, you know. Um, and um, that was, I guess that was kind of a, a inside thing where you didn't talk about it. You just did it, you know. And But I, I talked about it because, you know, that, that was incredible, incredible to me, you know. Um, I actually got a chance to meet him. I told him, you know, because he had no idea about, you know, me digging his music. And he was my hero when I, you know, when I was coming up. He had no idea. He couldn't believe it. And I just had to let him know because I never got a chance to tell him, you know. And that was that was one of the highlights.
Chris. John McLaughlin, the fourth dimension. That is lockdown blues. This is one of the uh, other silver linings um, that you know I have. You know that I that I'm enjoying is that during this time, all of these musicians and particularly the uh, the real masters of their craft, the older guys like John McLaughlin. Like uh, uh, Steve Vai, I'll talk about that in a second. There are so many people, like Bootsy Collins, getting together. All these people who can't live, you know, they need to create music to breathe, (laughs) okay? And since they can't tour and they can't be in the studio recording, they're all at home. Everybody is doing this remotely now. And some of the stuff that is coming out is absolutely astounding. There is some great, great music being created these days by people like John McLaughlin. And just there's so much of it out there. And I've got, I just went buck wild. After, I was telling you, after the the Bootsy Collins thing, you know, Mm -hmm. a week ago, I literally, I spent, I don't know, the better part of a day doing nothing but playing Six Degrees of YouTube. And just <laughs> getting song after song after song after song and finding all the new stuff that's out there, all the stuff that are one-offs that have been put out there, and then going from one thing to another. And I was telling you, I found lots of uh, Japanese gals who were playing some funky stuff, mostly with Sadowski basses and stuff. But in any event, I, there's a ton of it out there. That's, that's like a little bit of a silver lining to COVID-19 that, that I've discovered. Okay, You know, I, you got to look for them where you can find them, man. You got to look for him where you can find him before that. Classic Lonnie Mack and Stevie Ray Vaughan doing Double Whammy. That is a live version. It came out in 1986. Um, the original, of course, is a Lonnie Mack tune. And uh, Whammy, you know, everybody calls it a Whammy Bar. And that's mm-hmm. because of Lonnie Mack. It's actually called a Tremlo Bar. But because he did his Double Whammy album and his, you know, There Goes Whammy album back in like 1960. And before that was a uh, an interview that I... You know, dug up that Bootsy Collins did. This was um, after the grant, after I believe the Grammys one year, when either I think it was when uh, P Funk was inducted uh, in the Grammys. And last year, uh, they were given the Lifetime Achievement Award. You know, which they absolutely deserve. (laughs) Okay, I mean, you talk about music today. That you know, P Funk is is a a catalyst. Like half the hip hop and you know and and all the new stuff we're hearing these days, and I thought it was interesting because Bootsy was talking about I never knew this that he was just him and Catfish his brother were huge fans of Lonnie Mac like they thought he was everything when they were growing up because he was he literally has been described as like the first shredder out there you know the first guy that that you know played like that which is why. Now I get it why Bootsy and Catfish were, were talking about how they wanted who was going to be the first one who could play it right. When's the new Lonnie Mac coming out? And that he got to say that because I got to meet Lonnie Mac and went and saw him in 1985 at the Lone Star during the warm-up for Live Aid when he came out with um, Strikes Like Lightning, which was his first solo album in many years. Stevie Ray Vaughan basically just found him in you know, languishing in obscurity, I think, in Pennsylvania, and basically kidnapped him and brought him down to Texas and recorded the album, and that was the rekindling, and everybody showed up. And at that show, I mean, I told you, there I am standing there, 
you know, for this Lonnie Mack show, and standing right next to me is Paul McCartney. And on stage was Mick Jagger, Keith Richard, Ron Wood, Adrian Ballou, Paul Simon, you know, people that showed up on his tour to play with him, Bob Dylan. Everybody wanted to show up and play with Lonnie Mack. The first time he toured a bazillion years. And then I dug up this interview that Bootsy mm. has done, and I was like, now I get it. There it is, baby. Now I understand. I understand. I get it. That's the connection that goes on. That 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 is so important. And, and uh, that when I heard that interview, I just I, it took like took an hour just to get the Cheshire Cat grin off my face because I knew, I knew, I knew it. I just knew it somehow. I I knew it. So you know, I I just enjoyed that. Before that, one of these tracks that just came out. It's a one-off. Steve Vai. It's called Candle Power. And it is a brand new song that he just did. He he literally decided he wanted to do something new for his 60th birthday. He just turned 60. And the video of this is something you need to watch. And then there's a whole slew of videos of people who are guitar freaks. You know, you know the Guitar Channel on YouTube, Guitar Magazine, all these things. This was literally, this this song, when he came out with it and came out with the video... It kind of set the guitar world on fire because it's finger bending, not string bending or note bending. He's almost disjointing his fingers to get the sounds. And it's quite a remarkable song by a remarkable, remarkable guitar player. And uh, I highly recommend watching the video. It's, it's, I, the, when I first saw it, I watched it like three times in a row. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And so, you know. So I said, there's a reason why uh, why Frank Zappa credited him with all the impossible guitar parts on uh, Shut Up and Play Your Guitar. Before that, the Fearless Flyers with Nate Smith on drum. That is, Nate Smith is the ace of aces. This is another song that was recorded maybe about two months ago during quarantine. They just, you know, they all went in, set themselves up, did the song, put it out there. And these guys are really cool. The uh, the bass player in that, uh, Joe Dart, they've got a lot of fans. But Nate Smith, of course, is the uh, monster drummer who plays with uh, my friend Adam Rogers in his band, uh, Dice, and played for years with uh, one of the great bass players on the planet, uh, John Patitucci. John Patitucci's guitar quartet, which is how Adam Rogers met him. Adam was part of the guitar quartet. And on the subject of uh, guitar players kicking off the set, Buckethead. Comb and Wattles, <clears throat> that is from Empty Space, came out in 2011, and yeah, that's Buckethead playing the bass. So, great. And of course, Buckethead discovered by Bootsy Collins, who, you know, Bootsy Collins, I guess, put him in his recording studio, you know, when he met him, and that was the first place that Buckethead, you know, got to put tracks on wax, as it were. You know, eight tracks a slide. So there you go, pal. How you like them apples? Sounds great. I, I like those apples. I love it, baby. I am still, I am still on a high. Still buzzing. I'm still buzzing. Baby. I'm vibrating. Listen, look, you know, the thing is, is with the song coming out and also Bootsy having announced a little over a year ago that he was no longer going to be touring. You know, he's been very, you know, he's at home with the family and people can't come over, you know, they've, they have, everybody had to get tested. So when they have the kids or grandkids or stuff coming over, you know, everybody's, you know, it's after everybody's been testing stuff and he's been extremely busy in that he, you know, they, they found a time, man. 
and for you know for for just for us and our dozens of listeners <laughs> you know and i i think that it really does speak to a man who is committed he's basically said yeah, this man. is this is the rest of my life is going to be about giving something back that's great you know and and i couldn't be more overjoyed and grateful talk about an attitude of gratitude baby i mean I don't have a mucho mahalo big enough for that. I just don't. So, you know, and hopefully when, uh, you know, he actually, you know, I said it, hopefully we're going to get a chance to talk when the new the new slab comes out. It's called The Power of the One. It's due out this October. So hopefully we are going to get a chance to chat. And I can ask him about Lonnie Mack. That's good, you know. I want to ask him about it. Now I'm, 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 like, anxious to ask him about that because it's – you. You know, if I hadn't heard that put, interview, put it in your notes. Yeah, start. You know, I wouldn't have thought of it. But then when I heard it, I was like, "Of yeah. course, of course, of course." He was, you know, the original Shredder. He was the technician, and that's you know, when you're a kid, that's what you want to do. You want to learn it note for note. So, hey, enjoy the mangoes. Brought you some fresh mangoes. Thank you. you Appreciate like it. Yeah, I do like mangoes. fresh mangoes right off the tree. We're gonna get everybody out of here with some more brand new music. From another, one of my favorites, George Benson, who has got a brand new album. I'm not even sure if it's out yet. It's uh, It might be out or, or it's coming out soon. And it's live from uh, from London. He just did a uh, series of shows, I guess, last year and recorded an album. And, you know, I played lots of uh, George Benson on the show before. Mm-hmm. He's, he's one of the, his sound is... The sound he gets out of that is is remarkable, and he is doing a uh, a classic uh, song here, the Donny Hathaway classic, uh, the Ghetto, which is a fantastic tune. So we're going to get you out of there with with that, and you know we're going to come back in two weeks, back in the studio. Yeah, I love it. We've got some some new stuff, some new technical, some new. You've got new toys mm-hmm. to play with. Yep, which is why, and you know, I immediately noticed it. Sets yeah. are. You know, because normally Great. you do the sets, and I'm like, "Hey, yeah." There was always one little thing. Not anymore. This is uh, the fine tuning is easy. Yeah, it's yeah. like the the last two yeah. shows, mm-hmm. all four sets. Right. I've come right back. I'm like, perfect. That's yeah. it. We're yeah, yeah. perfect. Not right a, on. Not a, yeah. So we're gonna come back in two weeks, try and do the exact same thing again, just a little teeny bit better, just a little teeny bit better. And I am overjoyed, man, George. It's good to see you, my friend. My pleasure. It is good. My pleasure. It is good to see you. Back in the studio saddle. Yeah, man. Back where we're supposed to be. So we're going to get you out here with little George Benson doing the ghetto, as always, for myself. And Los George's Grandmaster Flash, the man, George Rodriguez. It is aloha and peace. Good night, Mom.
capital city of Hollywood, Florida, USA. This is SoFloRadio.com.